0: Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste-is-everything, cost-be-damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available.
1: This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In The Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. I'm the beverage director of the Epicurean Group of Restaurants, which includes Del Anima, L'Artuzzi, La Piccio, and Anfora. It's our little wine bar and uh, Epicurean Events, if uh, if you have any catering needs. Um, I'm very excited today to be with the wine director of... North End Grill, Mia Vandewater. Um, she's joining us today in the studio. And before we get started, um, I did want to tell you guys about the best wine I had last week. I'm going to ask Mia to also share uh, her favorite wine from, from the past week. Um, it was a great week for, for wine drinking for me, um, especially because I had a friend of mine, Chiara Pepe, from the uh, Emilio Pepe Winery in town. And um, I saw her uh, several days and tried quite a few of her wines. One of my favorites um, was the Pecorino, which is new to the uh, Emidio Pepe winery. They planted the grapes about 10 years ago, and it is by far the greatest expression of that grape that I've ever had, at least. Um, So the Emidio Pepe Pecorino, uh, I want to say, was the best wine that i had last week although some of their older Montepulciano's were pretty extraordinary including the 2000 vintage i have to say that was my favorite a said that 2001 is for men 2000 is for women i guess i uh side with the women on that one because that wine was extraordinary mia what was the the best wine you had this past week
2: you know um on monday night uh one of the kids on my team had a big dinner party and made a whole bunch of handmade pasta and it was awesome and one of the things that we had there was a magnum of the 2012 Ariana Occupinti sb 68 which is i it's a little bit terminally one of my favorite wines but it's um mostly for pato plus neradavla from sicily and it's just it's so fresh and tart and quaffable and savory all at the same time. It's one of my favorite things.
1: Such a fun wine, and even more fun out of magnum, I imagine.
2: It was pretty awesome.
1: That's that's awesome. So uh, it's obviously it's getting warmer here in New York, um, and you guys have quite an extensive rosé program that uh, I'd love to talk about this weekend. I, I enjoyed some uh, Arno Roberts and Red Car rosé, and those those were also contenders, but not. Not quite as good as the Medio Pepe Pecorino. Um, tell us about what you guys have going on at the restaurant for Rosé.
2: Sure. Um, we're actually doing a company wine, like all USHG Rosé celebration for the month of May. Um, so all of the restaurants from North End Grill to Gramercy Tavern to the Modern, all are featuring Rosé lists that, express that particular restaurant's unique take on rose. You have Sparkling at the Modern, you have Hidden Gems from Around the World at Gramercy, um and at North End Grill we're doing New California, which is actually been one of the it's been one of the best times I've ever had putting together a list, which I wasn't I was surprised by how cool and how much fun it was to sort of put this collection of roses together. Um, so we have 14 rosés open this month by you can have it by the glass you can have it by the bottle you can have it by the half bottle however you want and in my humble opinion it is possibly the 14 coolest up-and-coming rosé producers in 14 california rosés
1: you can have by the glass or by the half bottle that is awesome so what are some of your favorites from the list
2: so some of my favorites, I really love the Tribute to Grace Grenache Rosé mm-hmm. from Santa Barbara. Um, she does 100% Grenache red wines as well, but this is the same grapes from the Highlands Vineyard, just in rosé. It's just, it's so delicate and feminine and pretty. Um we have the Arnett Roberts that you had earlier this week, the Rosé of Toriga Nacional, which is this sort of super obscure Portuguese grape um, that's growing up in Lake County, which is just north of Napa Valley. Um, but that's like spicy and lots of stone fruit and is really unique and has lots of citrus to it. Um, and then I think the other thing that's been a lot of fun is the Edmund St. John Rosé of Gamay um, from the Sierra Foothills, the Bone mm-hmm. Jolly. I feel like california gamay is something that you don't really see in general um but they're making this like very fruity on the nose really super clean and fresh on the palate expression
1: all very very cool wines what do you think of this uh tiny little movement towards high quality dry uh white zinfandel have you had these, like the, the <laughs> Turley and Brock does it? There might be one or two other people, too.
2: You know, I haven't. I thought about um, putting some Storybook Mountain whites and vanilla on the California rosé list. Um, but I decided that, like, Storybook is so old school and they were a little bit not in step. Um, but I haven't. I've been meaning to try the Turley. I just haven't been in the same room with it.
1: And how have people been responding to to seeing all these rosés? Are people drinking them?
2: yeah. We're there's a there's a lot of rosé happening in North End Girl that's, right now. Yeah, that's
1: that's really exciting. Uh, I I mean. I, I also love drinking rosé this time of year. I think it's something that you can drink all year round. Uh, I don't understand why people drink necessarily right. white wine in the winter, but they won't drink rosé. Um, but this is an exciting time of year because everyone's really releasing their rosés right now, and so you get to uh, you get to try them all at the yeah. same time. It's
2: like a it's like a festival or a celebration of rosé. Um, and also, I just wanted to say the other thing that's been really fun about this. Um, this celebration of Rosé that we're doing is there's a, a charitable component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, all of, across the board, we're supporting, um, bed campaign against hunger, which is of course the neighborhood in Brooklyn. A lot of people who work in the restaurant live down there and essentially a dollar from every glass of Rosé sold or $4 for the bottle, um, goes to bed campaign against hunger to help them with their community outreach efforts. Um, And they, I I guess the statistic is last year they served 1.8 million meals over the course of the year to people in need in the neighborhood. And that for us is like really near and dear to our hearts because the whole thing about working in a restaurant is it's such a community and it's such a family and you you come together over meals all the time. Um, So we like that you can come in and drink an awesome glass of New California Rose and also be helping to. To bring celebration and, and community to people. Who and are now, is in this
1: program uh, across all of the restaurants, or is this just at North End? This Hill? is
2: across all of the restaurants. Wow,
1: that's it is fun enough to drink rose on its own but if it's if it's going to a good cause that that's pretty awesome um, and now let's talk about the the grill part of North End grill um, along with this being a great time of year for for drinking some rose it's also a great time of year for uh, grilling out in the in the yard I finally you know I, I, I'm a city kid I grew up in the city I never had a yard but now that I live in Brooklyn as well I'm not too far from bed Stuy, actually um, I, I have a little yard I was grilling out this weekend you guys have grilling as part of uh, as a, a main part of the, the cuisine at North End Grill. Um, tell us first how do you how do you pair food with or how do you pair wine with with grilled foods, and then um, we could talk about some some good like outdoor grilling kind of wines. Sure.
2: Um, yes, grilling is an integral part. It's probably actually the the heart of the kitchen at North End Grill, um, and it's kind of cool because we've got two different grilling apparatuses if you will. Um, there's a wood fire grill that's open flame. There's big grates that raise and lower on top of it. So you can either get your meat much closer or much farther away from, mm. from the fire. And then we also have these um, Spanish ovens that are called jasper ovens. It's essentially an enclosed charcoal grill. It's a little bit, um, It's it tends to burn at a hotter rate. So you're cooking times are a little bit different. Um, But for me, the thing is that the wood fire grill gives you the kind of characters that you would expect if you're like, say, out camping, and you've got an open fire, and you're like, doing hot dogs over the fire there, as opposed to the Jasper oven is a little bit more like the grill, the Weber grill in your backyard and the charcoal and or out in Prospect Park or wherever you're grilling. Um, So for me, one of the greatest things about the grills is they make so many pairing possibilities um, more accessible because that like sort of smoke and char that you get from grilling something means that you can take a branzino and roast it over the the wood fire grill and it's accessible to red wine in a way that it wouldn't be if you were say like coating in salt and baking it or whatnot because the char works with tannin which is that stuff that like dries out your mouth and can be tricky with fish the tr- the smoke will meet that and your options become like, so you can infinite. even go
1: with a tannic red wine because usually if you have right i mean if you do a a, a lot a, a light tannin very soft red wine it's pretty versatile with, with fish but then once you start going to some drying tannin it gets it gives you this like weird metallic flavor uh, but you're saying that you can even get like a tannic red wine with fish would you ever do like a nebbiolo with a grilled fish
2: it has it has definitely been done um <laughs> we've actually got right now um we have this red snapper we do it in the jasper oven it comes with mytaki mushrooms um and a little bit of a brown butter and that i find <laughs> it works really well with a lot of italian wines mm-hmm. and we've definitely done some nebbiolo by the glass with that wine
1: Wow, that's that's super interesting. You know, where I would go instinctually would be towards wines from volcanic soils. So mm. maybe something like uh, Etna Rosso or a white from Santorini. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, that that kind of expression of smokiness goes well? Do you agree with me here? I do,
2: I do. Um, we've, it's one of the reasons we've been pouring an Assyrtiko by the glass mm-hmm. for the past two and a half years. Not the same one, but we right now have always had a Greek white on the list. But yeah, absolutely, I think wines with that little bit of smokiness tend to work really well. Something else that's super nerdy but a lot of fun if you ever come in contact with it is this grape called Zierfandler from Austria. It's from just south of Vienna. And the soils there aren't volcanic, but there's a lot of um, sulfur hot springs in the area. Like, it's a big vacation resort area. In the
1: Terman region.
2: In Terman region, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, like, fun, that yeah. gives a smokiness to the wine that's really cool with, um, with food from the grill. Yeah.
1: Yeah, cool wines. I, I like the Stadlman and mm-hmm. Alfart. I don't know if uh, which one you guys have, but we the, have the
2: Stadlman. It's great, it's
1: delicious, delicious wines. And the the Mandelho, um, mm-hmm. which I guess is their top wine for a while over at Gramercy. I guess they had had, had purchased them, and then it just didn't move on the list. So you could find like some some Mandelho. Stadlman. This is pretty geeky, but like, <laughs> with like five six years of age on it, and it ages like extraordinarily beautifully. If there are any wine geeks like out there who care to do this, I would recommend cellaring your Stadlman Zierfondler, Modelho, because that wine <laughs> ages beautifully. It's like the searing, ripping acidity. Uh, all right, so I do want to give you a, a, a shout out and some props because um, you're a total badass, and you uh, <laughs> and you recently passed. Not only did you pass. The advanced Malier um, exam, which is extremely difficult to uh, to pass, uh, not, usually not even fifty percent of the people who who take it pass it. But you are the the very best score. Uh, you won the Rudd Scholarship. Congratulations! Thank you. Wow, that's I mean that's super super impressive. This is a challenging exam. Um, how, what did you do? What was your what was your studying like? What, what was your <laughs> uh, uh, your strategy here?
2: Um. Well. A friend of mine, um, Morgan Harris, who is now up at John George, we talk about theory all the time because he's also an epic theater uh, theory and and wine nerd, and you just have to commit yourself to spending like thirty hours a week studying, which sounds really boring, but um,
1: thirty hours a week.
2: I the for the first six months or so that I was studying it was probably like ten to fifteen. But for the last like eight months or so it was it was solidly twenty five to thirty hours a week. Whoa. It's because it's it's literally everything and you I think that the important thing is to start from the ground up um like why Burg- so we all know that Burgundy is incredibly parcelated, and there's all of these different vineyards and tons of different producers and it seems like this maze of things but like why why is it like that and how did it start and like we have all these vineyards because the sister Cien monks in the 1300s like had nothing better to do with their time but pray and read and tend grapevines so they got really obsessed with like the different aspects of the slopes and the soils and and sort of, it starts from the beginning, and then it gets up into I know all of the monopoles of and Remini Conti or whatever, whatever it is.
1: Well, you have a, a quite a larger capacity for memory than, than I do. <laughs> extremely, extremely impressive. Um, I know uh, you said you're going to be sitting for the master hopefully I'm going next year. To,
2: there's an, there's an application process, okay. and sometimes they make you wait a year before you can sit. Um, How could but- they make
1: someone who got the best score wait a year? If, you, if any of you are, who are in charge of, of making these decisions actually listen to this show, don't make her wait a year. She got the best score in her exam. Come on. All right, we're going to take a, uh, a quick break, and we'll be back with more uh, with Mia Vanderwater, the wine director from the Great North End Grill, here on In the Drink.
0: Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of InTheDrink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost be damned, taste-is-everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's, phenomenal. For more information, visit mictors.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right. Obviously, we're big fans of Victor's
1: bourbon here at, uh, at In The Drink. But if we're drinking another kind of whiskey, um, scotch in particular, you know, they have an incredible, you guys have an amazing scotch program over at North End Grill, um, I can't think of a restaurant, you know, other than maybe like the Brandy Library, if that's a, a restaurant, or, uh, that has quite an extensive Scotch program as you guys do. Um, tell us about some of the, your favorite scotches and maybe something that's that's rare you can't find anywhere else. Sure,
2: um, we have indeed an extensive Scotch list. It's I think something up over 125 uh, single malts at present and then there's blended there's some blended scotches as well um, something that I think is really really cool about our list that you don't see other places is we have an extensive collection of independent bottlers within that list and um, an independent bottler is basically a an agency um, Adelphi and signatory and Gordon Mcphail are all independent bottlers and they go around to the various distilleries and taste through like all of the barrels in a particular room. And they'll pick one that they think is like incredibly expressive or unusual or unique, or just really like the best of the bunch. And they'll buy that particular cask from say McAllen and they'll take it and they'll age it somewhere else and they'll bottle it separately. Um, so we've got a huge Adelphi collection, which is really really cool. One of my absolute favorites um, is we have a Kolila twelve year Adelphi cask mm-hmm. that's really great. Um, we also have, if you're if you're looking for something like super extra manly, um, the Mortlock sixteen year Adelphi cask will totally put hair on your chest, but it's pretty awesome. It's like one hundred sixteen proof or something like that. Wow. It's, super, it's super yeah. intense because they don't rectify them or, or cut them with water in the same way that you would just a, a standard single malt bottling.
1: And do you feel, do you have a lot of scotches from distilleries that maybe no longer exist? I've always found that those are, those are interesting. There's a, a lot of, there's been a lot of consolidation in the scotch world over the years. And if you can find an, an extinct I think that might be the right word. But, we uh, do.
2: Um, they call them ghost distilleries. Ghost distilleries, yes. Um, but we do, indeed. Um, I think the, some of the ones that I really like are we've got the 14-year and the 21-year from Rosebank, mm-hmm. which used to exist in the Lowlands and is no longer there. Um, and then... Actually, on Campbelltown, it's a little bit of an interesting story because Campbelltown used to have the highest concentration of distilleries in Scotland. um, And now there's three operating distilleries on Campbelltown. Um, And almost everything is owned by Springbank. Mm -hmm. But Springbank has sort of reopened a couple of the actual ghost distilleries and is producing other bottlings under different names, like um, they do a bunch of different bottlings under Long Row, which is their like peated line of scotches. Um, so those are really cool. There's like an ex Cabernet cask or an ex burgundy cask bottling. Um, so those are fun. They're they're unique and different
1: very cool. So just to change the subject a little bit, we uh you when you When you took over as wine director, the list was about one hundred twenty hundred and fifty selections. It was a, a very nice list. Um, I remember drinking some really nice wines from the from the beginning, but you 've really grown that list to something that uh, makes Uh, north end grill a wine destination with over 500 selections uh congratulations that's a that's a ton of work uh and and you've done an amazing job um so you have a lot of experience with uh with uh with growing a list with with stocking a professional seller what does your seller at home look like do you have any tips for people out there who maybe are want to sell her some wine um but don't have danny meyer money
2: (laughs) sure Um, I think it's important when you're building a cellar for your home. I mean, I I taste a lot of wine over the course of the week. um, And I, of course, buy it with the list at North End Grill in mind. But I think that over time, as you explore different types of wine, it's good to figure out what you like best and then sort of, like, concentrate on that. But... There's a lot of wines out there, especially from from lesser-known regions. Um, like, you can buy some really cool, uh, like, Cabernet Merlot blends, if that's your thing, from the northeast of Italy, from, like, the Veneto. They do some really great stuff up there. And that's not going to cost you to buy in the same way that it would if you wanted to buy, you know high-dollar brand-name recognition, um, Napa or Bordeaux, and the wines will age because they're they're incredibly well-made. And so finding something like um, the Gemmela from Vigna Alta, which is a Merlot Cabernet Franc blend from the Veneto, and buying like six bottles of it and drink one now and drink one in like five years... And if you can, if you have the space to pick up like six or eight bottles of something, or even a case, then you can start to see it evolve over time, and that's really cool. And again, just the exploring regions that don't have sort of like the marketing money behind them, if you will, I think you get a lot of a lot of bang for your buck.
1: Yeah, and one. normally I wouldn't condone drinking Cabernet Merlot from from Italy on this show. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of the uh, indigenous grapes, but. Uh, Northeastern Italy has had these grapes grown there for such a long time that they. You go to the Veneto or Friuli, they really consider them to be indigenous grapes to to the area, and they're they're truly unique expressions. And uh, and and I agree. Like if you are a Cabernet drinker, uh, it's best to go places. It's, it's grown all over the world, but go somewhere that that's not your initial like first thought of where to go, and you can find age worthy wines at, at a really good. Uh, Really good price, so uh, I, th- I like that. I like that suggestion. Um, I do want to talk to you about. You were a, uh, a an actress for years. Uh, it's true. Uh, is that is that over? Have you? Are you now? I mean, you spend so much time with with obviously work and studying. Have you put that behind you, or do you still do you still act?
2: Um, I like to say that I'm retired.
1: Okay, um, but this, is this like a Michael Jordan <laughs> retirement where you you can come, you might come back uh, three times? At
2: present, I am not. I'm not planning on revisiting acting. Um, if anyone is really active on Google, there's there's stuff up on the internet Whoa. that you can still access if you'd like to. I'm not going to tell you about it. You have to go find it. Um, but something that I something that I really love about restaurants and, and part of the reason that I'm not that um, motivated to go back into acting is all of the things that I love best about the theater and in particular, but film as well, is this sense of the sense of team and community and the fact that you and a whole bunch of other people are all coming together to create something and to build an experience for people. And I think that it's just, it's just as satisfying to do that in the context of a restaurant floor and, and creating a dining experience for someone as it is to go into a theater and build some sort of emotional, cathartic fantasy. Um, so I guess I would say that I'm retired from acting, but I still get to do the parts of it that I love best all the time.
1: And uh, on, your, uh, on your Twitter profile, it lists you as a strident feminist. And I want to know, your, as, as someone who is uh, self-identified as a feminist, wh- how do you feel the current state of the wine industry is for women? Do you think that uh, we're in a good place? Do you think that there is still a lot of work to be done? Um, what, what are your thoughts?
2: I think that... While like the current demographic is certainly heavily weighted towards um, men, there's a lot more men in wine than there are women, um, just because traditionally it's been more of a, a masculine career path. I think that the momentum and the amount of women that are working in wine, and um, I think that yeah, I think that the amount of women who are working in wine has is expanding in a really great way, and. You know, I think that the culture of the community is also, generally speaking, really, really hospitable and not, like, chauvinistic or misogynistic at all. I think that, in general, we all just want to do what we do, and it doesn't matter who you are or how you're shaped or or what. Um, So I think that things are moving in a positive direction, and I would encourage—well— I would encourage anyone who, who loves restaurant and loves wine to get into it, regardless.
1: Yeah. Well, my, uh, at least in, in our restaurants, it's uh, mostly women who run, <laughs> who run our restaurants. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's a very good thing. Um, I did have some quick fire questions for you, okay. uh, if you're ready for it. Fire away. Are you ready for it? Okay. Um, <laughs> what wine do you always like to have in your, uh, in your apartment? Available at all times.
2: Available at all times. Um, some sort of sparkling, like uh, Cremant, uh, French Cremant, or Zect, or something like that. And also, I I love Syrah more than I love anything else in the world. Um, so, Spar- some
1: sparkling Syrah?
2: Not sparkling Syrah.
1: <laughs> Have you had one of those? I used. To, I feel like I used to see them around a few years ago, but oh, I they, haven't seen them. They
2: totally exist. Um, they I exist? haven't had one in years, but they definitely make those down in um, Australia.
1: Um, okay so it's, we've been talking about like warm weather stuff do you prefer to drink wine on warm weather days in a park or rooftop park park um, as an uh, actress uh, do you prefer Jennifer Lawrence Jennifer Connelly or Jennifer Garner
2: Ooh. Ah, mm. I mean I feel like Jennifer Lawrence has so much momentum right now I don't know if she needs more um, which is great like nothing nothing against her because um, she's fabulous but I, re- I mean, I love Jennifer Connolly. I feel like she's just so like deep and intellectual, and the work is so subtle.
1: And uh, and I guess this isn't really much of a quick fire. But do you have a, a female uh, mentor? Is there someone who's been really influential to you?
2: You know, um, really. I mean, I have plenty of mentors, but I I feel like the biggest ones have to be um, John Reagan, who's our mm. our. Um, wine director for the company and also my, my current general manager, uh, Kevin richer. Pretty so, pretty hard
1: not to, uh, I mean, there's my mom, my mom's,
2: life. my mom's pretty badass. That's
1: a, that's a good trio. <laughs> John Reagan and Kevin richer. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty awesome trio there. Uh, <laughs> um, and then I do want to end with just a, uh, a geeky, um, I know you have all sorts of fun facts that you, that you learn. Do you have any, uh, any super like geeky, like random facts that, the that you might want to share that, that it, you've learned in your wine studies, uh, with our audience?
2: Oh, I mean, I have so many, but, <laughs> um, one, one of my favorite things to tell people is that going back to our, our question of, uh, pairings and tannin, um, the reason that tannin dries out your mouth is because it literally metabolizes the proteins. It literally metabolizes protein. So if you have like a super big wine or a super tannic wine, um, you always want to be eating something with it because if you eat like if you have nebbiola and you have a whole bunch of like prosciutto or charcuterie or something like you drink the nebbiola, you eat the charcuterie, it, it cleans out um, the oils from the charcuterie in your mouth. But if you just drink it by itself, it metabolizes the proteins in your mouth. And that's why you start like having this crazy chap thing in the center of your mouth.
1: That's a, that's a great geeky fact. Um, thank you so much, Mia. Uh, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I need to, I need to get back to North End Grill uh, soon. You've kind of, re-inspired me to, to come back. I'm excited to, uh, to see how you've grown the list recently. Thank you.
2: Come before um, the end of the month for rosé.
1: Oh, yes. Guys, remember, go before the end of the month for rosé. Um, they're donating a dollar per glass, $4 per bottle. Um, and that it, not only do you get to drink great rosé, but uh, your money also goes to a good cause. Uh, thanks so much for listening. This has been In The Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.